Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. So today we're going to look at um, kind of three points. First, we're going to look at the big picture, just what is this setting. Then we're going to look at biblical examples of how the Bible shows us to deal with this topic. And then I'm going to get really practical with you and give you some practical skills and strategies for yourself if you're dealing with this or if you know someone else who's dealing with it, how to help them. All right? So first of all, what is grief? So grief is our natural emotional reaction to loss. And the thing we most quickly think about is usually a death, right? That's that's the loss we usually associate with grief. But it's really more than that. And here's a list of possible losses, and all of these can affect you deeply. Of course, the loss of a loved one. Of course, that would be included, and that's probably the most significant. Um, but a divorce, so you have a loss of relationship. A retirement. A lot of people think about retirement as this really exciting woohoo time, and it should be, but you know what? Like when you've been working at the same thing for 40 years, and suddenly one day you wake up and that's gone. That's a big, big change, and, and you can feel the loss of those colleague relationships or how you were needed in that job. Um, loss of a job, so maybe an unexpected loss of a job. A pet. Man, I love my dog, and I already think about, you know, he's seven now. He's probably got seven more years or so, but I think about that, and I'm like, oh, that's going to be a bad, bad day. A loss of a friendship. Loss of a personal dream, you know. I think I actually think this is kind of the root of a lot of midlife crises. You know, in America, we're taught that you can do and be anything, right? And one day you wake up and realize, you know what, I'm never going to be president. It's just not going to happen, <laughs> you know? And so there's this kind of loss that you have that you're like, but, but they told me when I was five <laughs> I could be whatever I wanted. And you realize, nope, not, not so much. Loss of a romantic relationship. That, that's always a pretty significant one as well. So any of these can cause grief. And the intensity of your grief will be related to the depth of the loss. So that's pretty direct correlation there. Well, why do we experience this? Why does this happen? Let's think about how it was in the beginning. Let's go back to Genesis in the garden. And God created his perfect creation, Right? And there was no death in that perfect creation. We were meant to live forever in perfect harmony, right? That was was God's original intention. That was the original plan. We were created to not experience death. We were created to not experience loss, right? A lot of those losses, you know, loss of a job or loss of a relationship, that type of thing, sometimes is because of disharmony, right? or because someone else sinned. And that was not the original plan. So this is, this is a, a big, it's like a fracture in, in who we are as people, because we were not created originally to deal with this. You know, God said it is good when he created the world, and I, I don't think God would say that death is good. Right? So you can see how those don't fit with each other. So what happened? Well, we know that sin entered the picture, and that had a huge impact on the world. 
So I'm going to get slightly theological on you right now. So there's a difference between sin with a capital S and sin with a little s, okay? And sin with the capital S is when we talk about original sin. We talk about sin entered the world and therefore distorted God's creation. So when we are born, we are born fallen. We are born into a fallen, broken world where bad stuff happens. That's what it is. So there's big sin, original sin, which distorts the world, and then there's little less sin, which is our personal sin, when we, when we actually commit sin. And those are two slightly separate things. And tied with that is also this concept of evil, and there's two types of evil in this world. There's amoral evil, and there's moral evil. So amoral evil is, think about like a tsunami or an earthquake or a hurricane. There's no personal agent behind that, right? Bad stuff happens. No one personally made it happen. It happens because we live in a fallen, broken world. And of course, associated with that is going to be loss, right? There's just a big earthquake in Ecuador. There's loss associated with that. That's hard to deal with. So that's one type of evil. The second type of evil is moral evil when there's an agent behind it. So that would be when someone commits a sin and creates evil. So like if a drunk driver hits someone, right? They've made two very bad choices. First of all, they consumed way too much alcohol. And secondly, they chose to get in the car and drive, right? So they've made bad choices. It's had horrible consequences. And that's the result of a moral type of evil. And the hard thing for us is we are logical, rational human beings. So we like to try to explain things. Why did this happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? We want to explain that, right? But here's the thing. Evil does not have logic. Oh, that's rough, right? So evil doesn't have logic, so no matter how much you try to explain this, you cannot. You cannot explain it. You cannot make it work in your system. So how does that, how does that play out in our everyday life? And how does that relate to grief? Well, what happens is something bad happens, right? And we immediately figure out, oh, what part did we play in that? How could I have prevented that from happening? And now I feel guilty. If only I had called them. Oh, if only I had prayed more. If only I had fasted more. If only I had done this. If only I had done that, right? And pretty soon, on top of our grief, we've compiled a lot of guilt. And it's, it's, not, it's not God's plan for us. Right? Like, that is not the intention. Bad stuff happens in this world. We have loss in this world because this world has been distorted by sin. So it's really important to uncouple grief and guilt. Because grief is intense and hard to deal with, and when you add guilt on top of it, you're just being really mean to yourself, you know? And I feel like, to me, this was, um, thinking through this when I went to seminary was actually pretty uh, life-changing. It's pretty radical for me, because I've grown up in sort of a, more of a faith-based culture that is awesome, but doesn't really talk about this idea. Doesn't really talk about this idea of moral and amoral evil and it not being logical. And, and there always is that little bit of a nagging feeling of, I didn't have enough faith. I didn't have enough faith, and that's why this thing happened. 
And I would say that that's not God's plan for us or how he intends for us to feel or for us to deal with these things. So I just thought that was worth sharing, bringing it to you. All right, so that's the big picture. When we were originally created, we were not created to deal with death or loss or live in disharmony. There's a lot of stuff that happens in this world we cannot explain. That's just, that's just how it is. So what do we do about it? So that's the situation. How do I react? All right, well, let's just go through some, some biblical examples. All right? So first of all, Grief is really prevalent in the Bible. I don't know if you've ever kind of stopped to think about it or look through it. But, you know, as, as soon as you start to think about it, all these stories pop up. These are just a few examples. There's about a bazillion others. Um, the first I want to think about here, though, is um, with Leah and Rachel. And so Kathy talked about Leah and Rachel, and she talked about jealousy and envy, and that was a great, that was a great sermon. I really enjoyed that. And I'd like to add in addition to that. So if you think about Leah and Rachel, each of them were experiencing a loss of their own, which was leading to the envy and jealousy, right? So Leah, you know, growing up as a little girl and thinking about one day being in a marriage relationship, probably did not think, I'm going to get to share my husband with my sister for the rest of my life. Oh, and my husband's not really going to like me. That was probably not her dream as a little girl, right? Right? Most of us are not going to have that dream. So she's in this situation where her dad marries her off to Jacob, and now she's married married to Jacob, and guess what? This isn't the sister I wanted. I want the other one, right? Loss right there, right? So she's feeling grief over the loss of this marriage relationship, which leads to the other complicating things that happen. And then Rachel... I'm sure when she was growing up, thought, it's going to be so great to have a family and to be a mother and and, and to provide that for my husband, because that's how they talked back then. And what happens to her? She's barren and she can't have children. Well, her sister, of course, is having one, it seems like, every year. I don't know how often it was, but quite often, right? So Rachel's having the loss of this dream, right? The loss of a dream of being a mother. So both of them are dealing with grief, in different ways, which is leading to these other emotional reactions. And that's the very interesting thing about emotions, is it's rare for us to have a singular emotion, right? Like normally you've got about a zillion things going on, and you're trying to figure out which one is the root one. So I would like to suggest that for Leah and Rachel to most accurately deal with their jealousy and envy, they were probably going to have to come back to this. This was the root of it, right? Just like you get a dandelion and you pick that dandelion, but you don't get the root. Next week, you're going to be picking that dandelion, and next week, you're going to be picking that dandelion, right? Over and over and over until you get that root out. Same thing here. When you have an emotion that's really um, overwhelming you, like anger or jealousy or something like that, you have to find the root. All right, so that's Lee and Rachel. What about Hannah? You see Hannah in the Bible? We, we hear the end of it. We hear the good part, right? Where she conceives and has Samuel and it's all great. But when you first see her, she is in the temple with so much emotion, the priest thinks she's drunk, right? Like that is a pretty, that's pretty deep emotion coming out there. And she had years of that. 
a lot of grief she was dealing with. David, man David, right? Man after God's own heart does everything the way that it's supposed to be this perfect example for us in many ways, right? Has this high, the whole David and Goliath, not to steal Mark's thunder, right? He's like, what, 16 or something? He kills this giant, and it's like, woo, I'm going to rule the world, you know? He gets selected to be king. Then what happens? Someone chases him, tries to kill him for years, right? Saul. He has to run for his life. So much for being king. So much for that plan. What happened to my slingshot, you know? So he's got his own issues he's dealing with. Job, that guy had it rough, right? Had everything, lost everything, right? When you want to talk about loss, there's Job. And of course, Jesus. There's many, many others. But I'd like to talk about this verse, John 11:35. Of course, it was my favorite Bible verse as a child because it was super easy to memorize, right? <laughs> Got one! Woo! Why do you think that's in the Bible? Like, let's think about that story. Jesus shows up on the scene. Lazarus has died. Everyone's quite upset. I mean, what's about to happen? And Jesus knows what's about to happen. He is about to raise Lazarus from the dead, right? Like, he knows this moment in time is not the end of the story. He knows that in, like, minutes, Lazarus is going to be walking around with them. So why is this verse in the Bible? Not really. Yeah, he showed emotion. And I think it's really important to say, you know what? It's okay to have grief. God does not reject us in that moment. He does not disdain it. He doesn't think it's ridiculous. Sometimes we can feel ridiculous, right? He doesn't. He understands that this is the reaction to something we were not created to experience. And I think it is just God's grace that this verse is in the Bible for us. To know that this is, this is legit. Right? All right, so first of all, I'd just like to say that God is always going to be faithful during our times of mourning. Always. Think about Psalm 23. He talks about how the Lord is with him in the valley of the shadow of death. That's a pretty intense picture, right? And Psalm um, 56:8, David says, You've kept count of my tossings. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? So the idea that the Lord pays attention to us, He understands the depth of emotion and the details, and He sees every tear and He collects them. And in a way, right? He records them. He knows. He, he understands. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and rest in the knowledge that he is God. And something I like about that is this idea that you don't really have to do anything, right? You just need to be still and rest. And God's still going to be there. He's our refuge. And in Romans 8.28, this is another verse that I, I love, but I think we misinterpret a lot. So it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Now, the way I think this gets misinterpreted is there's a lot of times we think, oh, well, God made that happen so he could make this thing come out of it, right? And that's not really what it says. 
what it says is that God can work in all situations. So bad situation happens because of sin and evil and the stuff that's going on in the world. And that's just where we're at today. That's why the hope of the new heaven and new earth is so great. But guess what? God is bigger than that circumstance. God is bigger than that situation. God can redeem anything. So he didn't cause that drunk driver to cause a death, right? He was not behind that. He can use that and redeem the situation, right? He can make something good kind of come out of something terrible because that's how big he is. So he can work in all circumstances. So we know God's going to be faithful. What about the church? It's really important that we also reach out to the body of Christ in times of grief. So it's really easy to withdraw. That's a really common reaction. Like, just withdraw. You don't have energy. I can't be around people. And actually, that's terrible for you from an emotional health standpoint. It's really important that you're reaching out at least to somebody. And it's pretty amazing because God has given us a community, right? He's kind of set it up for us. We're going to have to deal with this, and he's given us a way to deal with it. In Galatians um, 6.2, it says, Bear one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Right? A direct command to us to be there for each other. And in Romans 12.15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. That's always fun. That's pretty easy to do, right? But to weep with those who weep. Right? So there's kind of a, a mandate to us as a church that when someone is in a significant situation where they're dealing with grief, it is important that we reach out to them. Sometimes it's going to be really hard for them to ask for help. It's going to be hard because when you're in intense grief, it's very overwhelming, right? There's not much that you feel like you can do or handle. So as the body of Christ, it's important that we take initiative there and that we reach out. Does that make sense? Is everyone with me? I know it's a happy topic, but... God is always faithful, we can utilize the body of Christ. The other thing that's really good to do is to go ahead and express that grief to God. Right? Get it out. And God will always listen. And David was an excellent example of this in the Bible. There's many, many psalms. Sometimes it's actually helpful just to read a psalm if you can't come up with the words, right? You can just pray a psalm like, God, things are really bad right now. And David expressed it better than I feel like I can. You know? And he's, you know... God's real big, and he's not going to be upset with you for doing that, right? Psalm 13, let's just read this. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. That's some really intense emotion at the start. How, how long? How long? This just keeps going and going. I had a situation in my life several years ago um, 
that was pretty intense. And I remember when I would wake up in the morning, I would think, why can't it just be night so I can sleep again? And I'd wake up in the night and I'd think, why can't it just be morning so I could see light and not feel this depth of despair? And it was just like that. It was intense, right? And that's kind of what David is saying here. How long? How long? How long? I can't do this anymore. I can't do it. (laughs) But you know what? It's good to reach out to, to God in those times. In Psalm 31, 9 and 10, he says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow, my years with sighing, my strength falls because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. These are just really good scriptures, right? In Psalm 141, But my eyes are on you, my Lord, my God. I take refuge in me. Don't let me die. Protect me from the trap they've set for me. Protect me from the snares of the evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets altogether, but let me make it through safely. So it's interesting. We're going to have a lot of life circumstances that are not great, you know, and that can happen really anywhere. That last one kind of makes me think of when you're in a work situation and someone is actively, a colleague maybe, is actively working against you. You know, and it's like you feel like I'm doing everything I can and I can't get ahead, I can't succeed, I'm I'm trying to be right before the Lord and this other person is using all of these other not correct ways of being. What can I do, right? So frustrating. But God is there through that. You know, and when we are able to open our minds to him and, and, pre- and just pour this stuff out before him, he's able to actually come back in and turn it around. So you hear in a lot of those psalms by the end, David is praising God. And let me tell you something. When you're in intense grief, you, cannot, you can't do that yourself. That's the Holy Spirit working. Because it is, that is, that's a tough thing to do. All right, one more biblical example. I want to look at Naomi. So we think about the book of Ruth, and the book of Ruth is it's a great book. I remember Amber and I went to a, a camp, a kid's Christian camp, and we went through the book of Ruth, and they played it all out with Barbie dolls or something. It was really fun. And then at the end, one kid was going to win this beautiful Ruth Barbie doll or something. Kind of a funny thing to think about now. But you don't really think of Ruth as an, a story about grief, right? The book of Ruth is kind of this awesome kinsman redeemer and Ruth's life and la la la. But think about Naomi. Just for a minute, let's think about Naomi and what her life was like. So there's a famine in Israel, and and Naomi and her husband Elimelech and their two sons move to Moab. So they move to this heathen country where there's no real community around them. It's all completely different. And they live there to escape the famine. And, you know, the book starts pretty fast because in verse 3 we find out Naomi's husband and both sons die. All right, this is not a happy opening story. We're in a foreign country with nothing. Husband dies, two sons die. There's two daughter-in-laws who are both Moabites, so they're going to be strange or foreign to Naomi and her ways, right? And living in Moab is way different than living in Israel at this time. Because in Israel, when you were female, you actually had some status because of the way God set up that nation to be an example to everyone else. So in Israel, 
the Israelites were charged with taking care of the poor, with taking care of the widows, of being a community that reached out, right? And Moab, Naomi suddenly has zero status. Nobody's going to help her. Nobody's going to look out for her. She is on her own. Oh, and her husband and two sons just died. Right? Pretty intense. And she sends uh, one, well, she asks both of her daughter-in-laws to leave her, and one does and one stays. So, of course, we know Ruth stays. Okay, so now what? So Naomi hears that the famine has ended in Israel, and she figures, I might as well go back, because maybe that would be better than being here in Moab, and Ruth comes with her. But this is the thing. Naomi clearly is blaming God for this. I'm going to read to you Ruth 1.13. The Lord's hand has gone out against me. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Right? So here's Naomi. She changes her name, literally. Changes her identity to be one of bitterness. She blames God 100%. She's got nothing. And it even says that her friends, when she returned to Israel, didn't recognize her. Because my guess is that grief had just changed her countenance so much that they couldn't recognize her. Right? So this is a pretty intense situation. So what's going to happen? Now what? So they get back to, they get back to Israel, and thankfully Ruth was there looking out for her. Ruth took care of her, right? She goes out to the fields to glean. Providently, Ruth ends up in Boaz's fields. Boaz honors his family commitments for the kinsman redeemer and marries Ruth. And Ruth has a son. What does that have to do with Naomi? Okay, well, this is very interesting. Because in Ruth 4.13, Ruth had the son, right? The woman living there said, Naomi has a son. So there's this complete redemption in this story. And to, like the cherry on the cake is that it actually becomes part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Like, talk about redemption, right? Talk about an amazing turnaround. But where was Naomi when we last left her? She was blaming God. She was at the pit. She couldn't do anything, Right? And I really love this verse in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 13. It says, here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot disown himself. There is such hope in that. There is such hope that when you're in the middle of grief that's so bad that you're just like, I got nothing. I can't do anything. I have nothing. God is still faithful. God can still redeem that. God can still turn it around. And he is still faithful. And I think that's amazing, right? All right, so in the Bible we saw that it's really important to remember God is faithful, that um, we should call out on the body of Christ, 
we should express our grief to God and that clearly God can redeem any situation. So let's just get on to some really practical tips, skills, strategies. First of all, there's no, no right or wrong way to grieve. It's really important to remember that. I actually worked with Hospice of Michigan for about a year, and my role there was as a grief counselor. So this was to work with families after the loved one had passed away. And it was a very practical time of training where I um, just learned all sorts of really simple things about grief. And the first one is there's no right or wrong way to grieve. And the second is you cannot put a time on this. You can't make it go faster. You can make it go slower if you refuse to actually acknowledge those feelings. So you can actually draw it out, but you can't make it go faster. And sometimes we don't realize all the signs of what actually is grief um, because it's not just crying. It's not just kind of feeling, right? But fatigue, you can have headaches, you can have chest pain. A lot of times, anger, guilt, and fear accompany this. So those are complicating emotions, right? Anger that it happened. Fear, because now what? Guilt, because maybe you feel like you could have done something different or better. You can have a preoccupation with the loss. And then a lot of people feel a very flat affect. So when something great happens, it's just like, when something bad happens, also, just like, because it's like your emotions are just done. Right? You've been stretched so thin. So it's important to recognize this in yourself and in others because if someone is experiencing grief, they might show a lot of anger. They might have a really short temper. You know what? It's really coming back to this. It's not you. So it's important to kind of link those together. It helps you and others cope. You've probably heard of the grieving process and the, the five stages of grief, right? There are five stages. You could experience them in any order. You could experience them all at the same time, or you might only experience a couple of them. But in general, this is what they are. There's denial, or the idea it can't be happening to me. There's the anger. So tip, anger is a secondary emotion. It always covers up a root emotion, which is usually fear or sadness. So you see anger a lot, because really, Anger feels easier to deal with than sadness, right? You can't do anything practical with sadness. There's bargaining, like, and this is, would happen especially if you're at the brink of a grief, like I might lose my job, this person might is in critical condition, that kind of thing. Like, if I, I'll do this, God, don't make this happen. Depression, which is where you just can't really do anything. And then acceptance where you're at peace with what happened. And I really like this emoticon for acceptance. I hope you can see it. Um, because what it shows is acceptance doesn't mean you're happy about it. Right? You don't ever have to be happy that this bad thing happened. But it's more like you've found peace. You've been able to come to peace with God and yourself about this, this thing. So a really good way to think about grief is to think about it like a roller coaster, right? There's ups and downs, twists and turns. And if you think about a roller coaster, usually the biggest hill is the first one, right? The biggest up and the biggest down is at the start. And then, depending on how long the roller coaster is, eventually those get smaller. And that's exactly what grief is like. It's super intense at the beginning and it gradually lessens. 
And if you're going through the grieving process or you're watching someone else go through the grieving process, that's all you're looking for is a reduction in intensity. Could take six months, could take three years. As long as there's a small step forward of reduction in total intensity, that's progress. So these are do's, if, if you're experiencing this, what can you do about it? It's really important, again, to reach out to your friends and family, your church community, to draw comfort from your faith. Um, there's lots of great support groups of other people that have ex experienced like situations. And what's great about that is you just feel normal, right? It's not about hearing their situation to make yourself feel better. What it does is it just makes you think, I am not crazy that I'm experiencing this intensity of emotion because of this thing, right? And that can be a big comfort. I mean, you talk to a grief counselor. You can use creativity to express your feelings. Maybe it's hard for you to express it in words, but you could draw it or paint it or something. Uh, look after your physical health. That's really important. And the last one is to plan ahead for grief triggers. And this was a big learning for me again at hospice. It's the idea that if you're about to go into a situation that you know could be tricky for you, plan some outs. Plan how you're going to deal with that. The big one we dealt with was Christmas. So in the fall, as we were preparing for the holiday season, so both Thanksgiving and Christmas, really, we would talk to people with, how are you going to handle the traditions that have always existed now that this person is no longer with you? and actually make a plan. Maybe you're not gonna do those traditions, that's okay, but you're gonna to wanna to communicate it ahead of time to the family so they're not disappointed, right? Or if you know that this one moment could be really hard, have a friend with you to support you during it, that type of thing. So that's just a really, really practical tip. And then how do you help someone else? First of all, you wanna listen with compassion. Do not offer advice. That is the, like the worst thing you do. Just listen though, really listen. Let them be there and just listen. Do offer practical assistance. Mow their lawn, bring them food, you know, take them to a movie, like whatever they need. Drive them somewhere, that is really helpful. Um, and then offer ongoing support. So we are really good as a community typically, especially if someone dies, to be there right then, right? Like we're really good and we do stuff for the first couple of weeks, you know, support them at the funeral. You want to support them beyond that because suddenly everybody disappears like a month later and what happened to all this support? And it's really important to be with someone because this could take a long time to get through. And finally, watch, watch for warning signs. So if it seems like the grief is not improving, that type of thing. Getting towards the end here. This is really, really helpful. Of, Sometimes you just don't know what to say. So here's some really helpful tips. First, acknowledge that situation. Just come right out and say, like, hey, I heard that your mom died. So that helps people know that you're ready to actually engage with the intensity of the situation. Just be right out there with it. Secondly, express your concern. Like, I'm really sorry that happened to you. Simple stuff. Be genuine in your communication. It's absolutely okay to say, like, I have no idea what to say to you right now, but I really care. Like, I want to be here with you. I don't know the best way to do that, but I, I care about you. You don't have to have the perfect words. You just need to be there. 
offer to do things for them, offer your support. And you know what? Regularly actually ask how they feel so they know they can continue to talk about it. All right, so some closing thoughts here. Encouragement in Psalm 30. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. So we know that grief is part of the human experience. It's not fun. We do have the hope of Christ. He's strong enough to carry our burdens. We know he cares for us. We know we have the Holy Spirit as a comforter. We know we have our church family to reach out to. So grief has its purpose, but it also has its limit. It has its ending. And I think what's really amazing is just to know that, to know that, you know what, God loves me in this time. He knows that this is really intense. I know this isn't what I was made for, but I also know that there is a hope. There's a future hope. There is a world that does not include this in it, and it's the new heaven and the new earth, and that's what we will experience after the return of Christ, which is so exciting. It's so exciting to know that there is more, and it is different, and that's why we struggle so much with this. That's why grief is so terrible, because it's not God's perfect design for us. It's not what we were called to as humans, right? And that's not what we'll experience in the future. So it happens, it's not fun, but it does end. All right? So I'm just going to take a moment and pray for you. If you want to talk to me specifically about anything, be very happy to talk to you afterwards. But let's just pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that you understand. I thank you that you are bigger than each situation that we're in. Even though it seems overwhelming, it's so comforting to know that you are bigger. And it's awesome to know that you can redeem it. But God, would you just be with anyone here who's in the middle of grief that is intense, that's hard, that is debilitating? And would you also be with those who know someone who's in that place and give them wisdom, give them grace, give them the ability to be there and support and comfort and to really be the body of Christ? And Father, that's what this is really about, is being the body of Christ to each other, of really showing your love, your commitment, your faithfulness to each other. And I thank you that there is a hope. I thank you that there's a hope for much better and greater things to come. Would you just be with us as we go from here? In Jesus' name, amen.